Did you not get the questions I sent you? I did. You didn't put any on here. <laughs> Is that my job? <laughs> I sent the questions to get incorporated into this. I didn't think those questions were serious questions. You were a great guest. Yes. I know. It's amazing. You should. It's, well, <laughs> thankfully, Amanda, amazing I've is one remembered word. some of those questions well, and I, I will gonna, be asking I them. I gotta be honest. I was like, is this the part where they make fun of each other or is this before the part <laughs> they make fun of each other? Yes. Before, before part. <laughs> that never stops. Ready? Ready. Jay, you ready? Yeah. All right. Three and two and one. The words have gotten undistorted. Welcome back to Fortitude, guys. While Brenton Payne and I continue to argue over everything, including the mundane, we have come together in a united front for this particular guest. We have a really cool lady in, in, in house to talk with us about some of the things she's accomplished in her life. Uh, before we talk to her... Do you ever um, get referred to as lady? I mean, is that like a how, common how would you, referral? Lady? I'm not sure... Uh, I can say how I often get referred to as, so we'll just stick with ladies. It's a sign of respect, and it's yeah. the obvious sign. I don't know how else to acknowledge you, MC. Um, if you're out there, you can find us more on RoxoMediaHouse.com or our Twitter, FortitudeFW, and additionally on the Fourth Inc. website. If you have complaints about Britain Payne, please see the Contact Us button on the Roxo Media House uh, website. Please fill that up. He needs to know where, <laughs> where he stands. One interesting bit of news before our guest, Brenton. Are you excited about this year's Super Bowl that's far out in the distance? I'll take that as a yes. Uh, they I just, have no answer. They just announced the Super Bowl lineup for this halftime this year's halftime show, uh, February 13th in L.A., so it's in a big spot. Dr. Dre, Snoop, Eminem, Mary J. Blige, and Kendrick Lamar. Amazing in LA that they would get those musicians. This is a collection. Mm. How did that of, happen? This yeah. is a collection of some good ones, though. This ought to be fantastic. Well, and I found out just recently that two football teams play at the same stadium. Uh huh. You'd think a place like LA could have could build a bigger one, but whoa, whoa, whoa. or two the, another one. Don't 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 start down that rabbit hole. We could do a whole <laughs> podcast on Los Angeles and football Thank and you. the catastrophe that it is. Okay, the voice you are hearing, folks, is that of Amanda McAuliffe. She is our guest today, and you're about to find out why we find her fascinating. She's a Fort Worth native, and we have known her for quite some time. You might say we went to high school with her, or actually in school with her, elementary school through high school. Then some really cool stuff happened. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for Thanks being for here. having me. And I, I want to give a disclosure to your yes. audience. I'm not nearly as interesting as they've set me up to be. So we'll you know, let them decide for well, it. I don't want to I don't want to get people with really high expectations and then I'm boring. No, no, no. no. We're well, not worried about that we, at all. We've carefully designed this show around this being interesting in you. So um First off, high school for you. Where did you go to high school? I went to Trinity Valley. I went to Trinity Valley kindergarten through high my senior year. Right. The 13-year plan I, there. A 13-year student, yes. Oh, good. Something happened, though, in high school. You disappeared. I did. I did. I um, I talked my way onto a movie set in February of my senior year. Okay. Um, it was supposed to be for three weeks. I think I stayed for five. Um, and I never went back to another five days of school in a row. Once you get out, it's really hard to kind of get back into it, right? I recall you not being there, and I didn't really know why. I yeah. think there was it was a little were bit of a... Were you guys the same grade? We yes, were. Yeah. we were. It kind of was quiet. I think they didn't want everybody to think that they could get away with doing what I did. And 
you know, I mean, the funny story, it's it's long enough now I can actually tell the story. So the way I made this happen is I called the movie crew that was shooting out in West Texas near my family's ranch and told them it was okay with my high school if I took a month off and did an internship with them. Yeah. And then I went and told our principal that the movie said it was okay as long as it was okay with them. And that I had talked to all my teachers, none of whom I had spoken to, and they were all good with it if he was good with it. Yeah. And then did the reverse with my teachers. And I'm sure everybody knew what I was doing, but they let me go anyway. So what you were saying, Fleming? Was it that? Yes, you, it was. Was that a tough sell? So, no, he actually, I, I had, he was, he, fine, I, fine. I owe him big. He was, he was, Great. Yeah. So um, what, what you're telling us is lying is okay, kids, as long <laughs> as it helps you build a career that you've obviously been very successful in. And no in, one got hurt in my life. In the making That's, of this lie. Exactly. Yes. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so. Streets of Laredo was the film. The yes, pre- it was. The prequel to Lonesome Dove. Yes, yes, it was. Most of us are huge fans of Lonesome Dove. That was an experience I'm assuming that was eye-opening and you fell in love quickly, right? I did. I did. I can remember I was on set for about two weeks And I realized that every day I would start work at like 4.30 or 5 in the morning. And the first time I would look at my watch would be about 3.30 in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't looking because I was getting ready to go or wanting to leave. I was just curious what time it was. And I was like, if I can do something for 10 hours and not even think about the time, this is what I should do. You were so busy enjoying whatever you were doing that you didn't really realize what time it was. Gotcha. So um, before we get into more of your, your accolades, your family, that McAuliffe family is synonymous with Fort Worth and for many reasons. Can we step back a little bit and talk about your father, Al, your brother, uh, Mike, and how that all came to be? And Abs- it- Absolutely. Uh, how, I mean, do you want me to go back, back with the beginning of Al's sort of origin story? Sure, surely. If you, if you don't mind, we can go <laughs> no. through that briefly. But- no, no, I, I'll, I'll do it quickly. So um, my, my dad, actually, both my parents grew up in Michigan. Uh, my dad grew up listening on some like shortwave radio to a show out of Del Rio, Texas when he was a kid. And he decided that all he wanted to do was move to Texas and become a rancher. And then he saw a James Garner movie called Wheeler Dealer. Uh, and you can imagine what that's about. Um, and decided and he he was a rancher who drove a big Cadillac and flew around in his own plane and bought art. And mm. and so that was his second really seminal moment for him. And he decided that he had to get to Texas and get to a ranch. And he wanted to be like James Garner in Wheeler Dealer. And that's kind of pretty much sums up Al. <laughs> so uh, he actually moved his silicone plant down here in 1974. Uh trying to find a state that was a little more uh, business friendly than Michigan mm-hmm. was, which is highly unionized and built a uh, silicone plant out in Weatherford. Is that J-Mac we're that speaking is J- of? Yes, that's okay. J-Mac. Um, Where does that I, name come from? It was a combination of several people's names when they all started the business. Yeah. They were older gentlemen. And so um, over the years, unfortunately, they've since passed. And so now the only person left is the A for Al. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, it's first names. I was thinking it, would, no, it was Mac actually a combination of first and last names, which is really interesting to me. But that's what yeah. they did. Um, anyway, so that sort of started their life in Texas and really was the foundation for any other businesses that were started after that and all the crazy fun things that my dad has done in his life. Uh, One of which, so to tie it into Mike, one of which is we have a ranch in West Texas and there was nowhere to eat. And so my dad decided to open a restaurant called Riata and then had some friends out from Fort Worth who really liked the restaurant and basically opened up their door to put a Riata in Fort Worth, actually at that time in the Bank One Tower. Mm Mm-hmm. We are now in our second location in St. Right. Square. But um, but so my brother really focuses both on the restaurant as well as we have some other um, ranch developments out in West Texas and Michael's. Those are Michael's two big focus. And then any other loose ends. 
Do you have any connection to the restaurant other than are you involved at all? I mean, so Michael, uh, so Michael and I both sit on the boards of all of our companies. They're all family owned. So mm-hmm. they're, you know, informal boards. And so we're very aware of what each other are doing. But I primarily focus on McAuliffe Cigars and J-Mac. And Michael primarily focuses on the ranch, the restaurant uh, and real estate developments. And then you know, investments in loose ends. Right, right. How come Michael got his picture with your dad at Szechuan, but I don't see you in that photo? <laughs> Welcome to my childhood. <laughs> Should no. we go on that tangent or just keep with the introductory no, no, no. stuff? Uh, I, I, that is the my favorite picture. It's I mean, a it's, great picture. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were hunting. I was not on that trip. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> J-Mac, um, it started from from your dad and these these people you mentioned it's now the world's largest manufacturer of privately owned. Privately um, owned. Yes. So about ten, I guess in two thousand eight, with the real estate crisis, almost all the silicone uh, companies got rolled up, and so we are now the sort of la- largest, still standing, family owned uh, silicone manufacturer in what, North America. What do, what manufactured what pieces of, of silicone do you manufacture? What do we do? Yes. What do <laughs> yes. you do? Um, we make a lot of uh, seals and gaskets. So your, the seal around your oven or your freezer. We've been very busy this year with the vaccine needing super, super cold temperature freezers. Mm-hmm. Silicone is a regular rubber can't get that cold. It'll crack, and sil- but silicone can. And so we've been busy making freezer gaskets like crazy. Wow. Uh, think a lot of things like that. Um, Britain only cooks over an open flame, so he does not you have, have no a, idea. No that. Okay, well, no. if- what is a freezer or refrigerator? I'm not sure of this concept. <laughs> we have an ice block in a closet. <laughs> well, then you don't need silicone. <laughs> <laughs> so when Riata in Fort Worth began, mm-hmm. we'll keep that Fort Worth centered. Uh, it used to be on top of the of the building yes. before the before the uh, tornado came through. Yes, the year I don't recall. Um, I think we just. I think it was just the twentieth. I think like last March was twenty years. Or 25 years. But it was since a, that happened? Yes. Awareness. At that location, you had some pretty big chefs there, right? Like that have gone on to other things? Yeah, at, we've at been restaurant. really fortunate. A lot of the a lot of the sort of more namey people in Fort Worth have started at Riata. It's, yeah. It's great. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, for, the, the restaurant community in Fort Worth is incredibly tight and, mm-hmm. and very supportive of each other. And I will, I have to share this story with you because I've never shared it before. My wife actually, she probably knows, but I've been happily married for the better part of 18 years. I think I love you, honey. Um, (laughs) Before I met my wife and I wanted to go on a date with somebody, if I thought I liked this person or we had met for a while and I liked this person, Riata on top of the building was that if I took her, if I took her there, that's because I liked her because I couldn't afford really to spend a lot of money. That was the one uh, big spend. If I, if I wanted to really impress this person. So that was always my, my dating trick. I did not know that. And that the, was the one on the roof. That, yes. that was right at the top. Yeah, that's correct. But that was my little, my little secret, if, if you will. And so, but luckily I didn't need it from my wife. We, we fell in love organically and didn't need all that. Um, that's very nice. Yes. I I'm, thought the show was about Amanda today. <laughs> it is. Not about but knowing, JW's yes. marriage. But knowing that story about Riata <laughs> made my whole trip here worthwhile. Okay, good. So uh, you're in the movie business yes. or you're in, you're making films as a young person. When did the move to LA happen? About two years after I started in the business, I sort after of- After Amarillo? After the high school deal? Yes. I kind of looked around and realized that every time I was working on all these movies, so I guess I should back up and clear something up because um, JW and I went to Trinity Valley, so you would assume that mm-hmm. I went on to college. 
But Co- I, I ruined their their <gasps> 100. Although I'm, now I'm giving it back. Their 100 percent college attendance. Uh, I did get in college. How dare you? Yes, we need to go back and look at those records. Surely they bluffed and did not tell anybody this. So uh, I did actually get into school, and I ended up deferring for a couple semesters, and then finally they were like, "You have to either show up or give up your spot." And I was happily working in the movie you were business. Too, it was too far yeah. gone at that point. I, I mean, yes, it was. Um, so no I, college for you? No, I mean no. So uh, anyway, about so. So that's how come two years after high school, I moved out to California when I was 20. But you were doing the movie business kind of list on uh-huh. any projects yeah, you could locally and stuff? You know, it just sort of kept, I thought when I took the first job that I was just going to do out, out of high school, that I was just going to work mm-hmm. on it and it was going to wrap in December and I was going to go to college in January. And then one thing just led to another thing. And, you know, I just kept getting work. Yeah. And no one ever asked where I went to school. Yeah. Uh, and so I kind of looked up in two years and realized that, at least for the moment, that wasn't something I was going to focus on. And that all the department heads were coming from L.A. or New York. And so I thought, well, I guess I got to get to L.A. or New York, mm-hmm. at least for a few years. That was my intention to go to L.A. for two years. I think I was there 23 years. So, wow. you know, best laid plans. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. What was the first film you worked on after moving to L.A.? You recall? I Well, I mean, I remember, I don't remember what it was called. It was terrible. It was um, a Cinemax movie. Okay. Um, you've got you've got his interest, I know. Uh, well, it's even worse than that because it was a Cinemax movie, and they had just partnered with Playboy, and so there was no true it was no true nudity or anything like that. But it was like imagine, actually imagine like a porn movie, but without the porn. Okay. I mean, it was that level of bad. Anyway, so yes, you know, but everything Sounds can't be everything can't yes. be an award winner. Yeah, several <laughs> of your bigger <laughs> films, um, Beneath the Dark, Grand Champion, Beyond the Whisper, are these. The three, the ones, these are the three ones that we like to discuss a little bit, if you can. Sure. Which were those three are the mo- are your favorites? Do you, do you have a favorite? Uh, I don't know that I have a favorite. And, you know, it's funny when I look back, there's movies that I worked on that I wasn't a producer on that I also loved. I mean, that were in some ways some of the best right. experiences. So it, it's it's hard to say, but I'm happy to talk about any sure. of them. Well, Grand Champion for one. Can we talk about that for a sec? Yes. That was the first movie I produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had... Planes, trains, boats, and kids in it. You're not supposed to do any of those four things in your first movie. So oh, really? I did all four of those it's things. It's like the, like, what, what, like one of those rules that it's just going to make it everything that much more difficult. Yes. Yes. But you know, um, when you're young and you don't know better, you just go for it. Yeah. And so that's what we, we did. We know that. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. We did a podcast where, like that. Where, where was this movie filmed? Uh, we filmed all over, all, all over Texas. I mean, we filmed a big ton- chunk of it in Snyder, Texas of all places. Uh, we also shot out in West Texas. We shot... Um, in Midland. I mean, we kind of were everywhere. It was a movie about raising a kid who raised the grand champion steer and then sells it and realizes they're going to eat it. And so he kidnaps his steer back and he's trying to get back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a G-rated movie, total kid movie, really fun. Yeah. What was the budget for that movie? Oh gosh, that's been, it was two or $3 million. It's been so many years now. What, did you call the movie a success? Uh, yes. And I'm, I mean, financially we were, it was not anywhere near what we wanted it to be. Sure. And there were a whole world of domino effect that happened. Um, I got it. We got it sold and we got it in the theaters and, you know, in the movie theater, in the movie business, that is a pretty big accomplishment. So in that sense, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, we learned a lot. We had a great time, but um, you, you know, think if you, cause that's a pretty interesting concept. It's got a lot of Fort Worth ties to it, you know, in the way we have the stock show. You think if you did it today, 
same movie, but just with the distribution that exists, it would be a lot more successful. It would have. I mean, yeah. that you know, when we released that movie, there were there were seven players, and everything sort of trickled off them, and through sort of a perfect storm of things, it never kind of got the big push it was supposed to. Yeah. And that would just, you're right, between social media and the different distribution channels, today you would have a very different opportunity. Does that happen a lot in the movie business too, where it's like yes. you're in product, you're making the movie, everyone's promising you the world, we're going to do this with you, we're here with you. And then you get to the final product that you think is a good final product and they're like, we're out. I mean, is it kind of part it of It can the be, but, uh, but that would at least imply that somewhere along the, they lost interest because of the quality of the film you'd be surprised how often it has nothing to do with that. And it's that, you know, you got bumped out of a spot at Sundance because mm. somebody else with better political ties got in or, yeah. you know, that somebody else was able to sort of slide into your, you know, day and date release and then you get pushed to a worse date. I mean, a lot of times things happen that have nothing to do with whether your movie's good or not. There's just something else that is a little more shiny at that moment. So is that the reason in paying a lot of money for a good agent or for being present at those? Or is that There's, yes. Having the, the better your representation is without question, the yeah. better your chances are of not having one of those incidents happen. Okay. Was Grand Champion the movie that involved Julie Roberts? So Julie Roberts' niece, Emma, was in it. Niece, that's correct. Yes, and then Julie Roberts did make a uh, little cameo, cameo. appearance. Uh, her husband, who she's been married to since we made the movie, I mean, I think they got married that year, was our cinematographer. Uh, so she was around for the whole shoot. She was, I, I will, Julie Roberts, we needed extras one day, and Julie Roberts went to Walmart and got on the loudspeaker and asked people to come out to the movie which is pretty amazing of her. She's, that, that she's is incredible. Kind of she's so unbelievably down to earth. You would be really surprised. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So obviously you're in LA now making films. How, are you meeting people that we all would call celebrities? Are you involved in that scene very much being around movies? I, I mean, you definitely are meeting people. I wouldn't say that was ever my scene. I was more behind the scenes. And then even, you know, when I was going out and things, I was not the, I was not the person who was regularly out at the clubs. That was just sort of not my thing. Yeah. This photo here is that's that more, my, is that that's kind more, of your scene? That's a little more my scene. <laughs> that is, um, there's a lot going on that there. Is that, is that Spielberg at a young age yeah. or who is to describe so what's going on here? That's actually a fellow Fort Worthian. Uh, that is Chad Feehan. Country who, Day. Country oh, Day. Yeah. Oh, he, and he's big time, right? He's, yes. He's been. Ray Donovan. Yes. He was the executive producer on Ray Donovan. He's go, been working Brent. on some stuff. Yeah. No. Um, Chad's doing incredibly well. He's incredibly talented. We had a great time working together. Uh, he directed the movie set that we're currently on. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. uh, that is actually a set. Really? Oh. Yes. <laughs> Look at um, all the VHS tapes uh, yes, back there. Yes, exactly. So, so that was not where that's not, we did not live there. That was set up that way on purpose. Um, <laughs> Uh, and yeah, you can see that it, this is, we were shooting nights too uh, to defend myself in the middle of nowhere. And so that is what set life looks like. Was that uh, local? Was that in oh, no, LA? That was, no, that was, uh, well, outside of LA. We were um, out in this abandoned motel out oh, wow. near San Bernardino. For, so. for the for people who don't understand that much, probably myself included, what's the movie making process like, generally speaking, the time frame and how much stress goes into what you, what you do producing a movie? Well, I mean, for, well, time frame wise, it can be, I mean, it's 18 months at minimum, you know, I mean, I guess now editing has changed, but we were still cutting film back then. That's how old I am. Mm. Um, and, it, but easily, I mean, a lot of times it's three, four years. I mean, you find a project, you develop a project, you get it set up, then you have to find a writer. Uh, sorry, if you have 
if you don't have a writer, a writer, but if you have a script, you've already got a writer, mm-hmm. but you're looking for a director and cast. Then you finally get into production. You could shoot the movie anywhere from, you know, 18 days would be on a really, really low budget movie to it could be hundreds of days. Right. And then you go away and edit it for months to months and finally release it. So it's not it's not fast. Um, I guess it's stressful. You know, stress is sort of what you make it, I guess. Sure. But, uh, you know, I, I think you live in that world for so long. You're that, enjoying, I, I assume, yeah, the excitement. Involved. Yes, exactly. I mean, you kind, you kind of become a junkie on it. I mean, it's, it's you know, you spend time carefully preparing because you know things are going to go wrong on set. And then it sort of becomes this game of like, how are you going to overcome? Mm-hmm. Is it, so. but it, are you only doing one movie at a time or like you're doing, mo- like the way to make it work is remodel five homes at once <laughs> and maybe not get the quality. Like how does well, that all work? Right. So, I mean, that's the studios are set up very much like you just said, they'll make, you know, 20, 25 movies a year. They need a few of them to hit big, some to break even, and they know some are going to lose money. And so, yes, if, if you're playing on that level, that's absolutely how you're going to be successful. And then the most notable producers and directors, you can only direct one movie at once, but a lot of times producers will have things in various stages of production all going at the same time in big teams. I was an independent producer. The, a lot of the material I gravitated to was never going to be studio kind of pictures. It was pretty dark and eerie. And so there was, there was not enough of us to be doing multiple things at once. I mean, we might be working on a script where we were shooting a movie or something, but we wouldn't ever have had the bandwidth to, to really be into movies in production at the same time. How difficult raising capital for these films? I mean, there, there's a whole aspect of the money that has to pay for all this. How are you involved in that side of it? Is, how yes, hard is that part? It's nearly impossible. I mean, it's not, it's not easy. I mean, it's definitely, it actually, it's easier as you become more established, um, you know, and then it can be easier as you have obviously the right cast on board or director or writers and things like that. But it's definitely not an easy thing to get done. So it wasn't when you were there, but I'm thinking like with all the stuff that exists now, it's got to be 10 times as more difficult, right? It's, it, it's yes and no. In, to some degree, you can shoot a movie on an iPhone now, so you don't need very much money. And if you have something and you're passionate about it, you don't need... Go with it, Brenton. Get yeah. your phone. <laughs> you don't need to Jay have a lot one. of money to make a movie anymore. At the same time, there's so many people creating content, trying to you know be the little signal and all that noise to actually get some attention becomes that much harder. Okay. 20 plus years in LA, what's the craziest thing that ever happened to you? Oh my gosh, I have no idea. We can bleep out words or things (laughs) later if you need us to. I really don't know. This is a terrible question. Um, Maybe something you saw, saw somebody do, anything. What's funny, well, the craziest thing that happened to me was not in LA, but it was a movie business story. Can I tell that story? That would be great. Uh, I was asked to go to Wichita, Kansas um, to basically oversee the production of a independent film that uh, the person who was financing and asked me to go and basically babysit essentially. Um, and so I get, I mean, I think I was there in a producer capacity, but I can't even remember, but essentially I was just making sure that the money was getting spent and things were happening and, and all that good stuff. And their uh, cinematographer went out uh, to a strip club and what's, what's that? Britain, you've talked uh, about that all the time. I've never not been in th- Wichita, Kansas. Oh. I yes. haven't. Um, I mean, there's so many other things. I'm not going into the long story because that's really <laughs> insane. But anyway, goes out to a strip club with the crew, leaves with one of the strippers, goes back to his hotel. The next oh, morning. See, we have one of those buttons. So go ahead. <laughs> the, the next morning. I was like, I don't know if I can say this. The next morning, uh, he's not on set. 
and uh, everybody's getting ready to roll out in the vans and go and go to set. Sorry, I guess he's not waiting to leave for set. And I, you know, ask somebody to go check in his room and he is face down, needle in his arm. Oh, no. All but I mean, basically all but dead. He's diabetic, right? So no, no, he shot an eight ball with the stripper. (laughs) And, um, and so then, so then I had to call his eight month pregnant wife and explain where her husband was. Oh no. That was probably the craziest thing that ever happened to me. Did you make that call prior to calling the producer you were out there on behalf of or which call first? It was really funny because I called him and I'd worked with this guy a lot and I called and I didn't get him and I left a message and I'm like, you need to call me. We have a problem. And it's, and we'd worked on a ton of things and he was impossible to get on the phone. And he called me back within like 15 minutes. And oh, he's yeah. like, you never say things like that. What happened? Yeah. And I was just like, so anyway. All right. Let's talk about arsenic. When, okay. when did arsenic find you? So I wish I, the camera can't really see you, your face right now. So audience, you should see the little JW looks like the, the cat that ate the mouse right now. Yes. The tail is wagging <laughs> out of his lips. Um, anyway. Okay. So uh, I got frustrated with the film business for some of the reasons that we've brought up today. It was just the business had changed a lot. I actually was on set less and less. In some ways I was getting bigger movies set up with, like big name producers and things, but at the same time I wasn't getting to make them. So uh, I started looking for an outlet to just kind of, you know, scratch the itch of being on set and collaborating with other creative people. And I started doing uh, still photo shoots, not thinking it was ever going to become anything. And we sort of, the one thing we did that was kind of different than what was happening in Los Angeles is there's a million models in LA, but they kind of usually get stuck shooting whatever the photographer wants to shoot. And so we sort of started playing around with this idea that I would help produce photo shoots that were kind of the vision of the model and find a photographer that was down to be very collaborative and things like that. I and, bu- imagine that artist license kind of thing, huh? <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> the timing was interesting because Instagram was just starting to happen. And, uh, and we started posting. I didn't even, I started sharing these pictures with these with the models and they started posting them and it just sort of caught fire and it grew fairly quickly. And then a friend of mine who was an agent at CAA at the time, uh, kind of, uh, he ended up leaving CAA to come on board when we decided to make it a real venture. But he's the one who sort of had this idea that well, we don't have to shoot all the content that we're posting. We can just ask people to submit things by using a hashtag and no one that seems so crazy now. I mean, you're like, well, duh, but this is a long, no one was doing this. Yeah. In 2015, yeah. right? Yeah. And what's so. What's CAA? What was, what's that? Creative the, Artist Agency. Okay. So um, one of the really big, powerful agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started doing that and it, and that kind of further, you know, helped the growth. And then um, we also got on Snapchat very early and started shooting a Snapchat and that kind of tipped it the other way and it blew up. And I mean, we were, we had audiences bigger than MTV and other cable stations watching our social media content. And we kind of became uh, one of the first social media magazines. As of today, you have 1.2 million followers on, on Instagram. Yes. Instagram is correct. Among that's obviously there's other, we have an platforms. exponentially smaller number for this show. <laughs> yes. By a factor of 1.2 million. Well, you would like to know as, 1. A, 1. as a marketing professional, I would tell you that some, a smaller niche audience can sometimes serve you better than a large audience. Mm-hmm. 
But do you have folks that are going to there to actually like, did, did it help the models, right? Absolutely. Like the people yeah, so that, that, that so, kind of created this. So the ecosystem was really, really interesting. Um, especially when we first started, we didn't pay. I mean, this was a hobby. We did it on our weekends. Um, and then even as we grew, if we were just shooting content for arsenic, we didn't pay. But if we were doing a branded deal or something, if we were getting paid, the models got paid basically mm-hmm. is how it worked. But because we got big and the models, a lot of the people we worked with were big, then new people would come in and they would be able to grow very, very big. And so somebody would go on a trip with us and in a week's time, they could go from having, you know, a couple hundred followers to tens of thousands of followers. And then they're getting brands offering the money. So, so yeah, we were really able to kind of create this sort of influencer ne- ecosystem, ecosystem kind of, that's yeah. really what it was. And, um, in which and everybody sort of got it and supported each other and helped post each other to kind of get people up to the next level and things like that. It was, you know, it's funny. You people think of it so sort of vapid in L.A. and those things do exist. But sort of when you peel back all the layers like this, people yeah, have each other's of, back, too. Yeah, for sure. So but you found a niche with with arsenic. Um, are you still involved? Um so um, about two years ago, the arsenic is, was, was pivoting to more of a tech play. And so. I had been given some thought about wanting to come back home and work with my dad and my brother. And it was kind of a good moment for me to, to sort of give up my day-to-day activities. So I'm still on our six board. I'm still, my co-founder is still uh, with Arsenic and doing. Can we mention his name? Billy Hawkins. Billy Hawkins. Okay. Um, and so. What's his know, background real quick, if you don't he, mind. So um, he was a, uh, he's went to Harvard Law, then went into uh, investment banking and ended up in the mailroom at CAA where he grew to become one of the biggest agents there. Um, he represented everyone from Steven Spielberg to Evelyn Goria to Will Smith. Um, and then sort of left because he got really fascinated by all this new stuff that was happening in sort of short form content. How'd you guys meet? Uh, Playing polo, not he and I, I played polo with his boss when he was an investment banker and he was just getting ready to leave to go work at, in the mailroom at CAA. And she's like, you guys should meet. Oh yeah. So, Very good. So yeah. You're not getting more, you're not getting more boring. I can tell you. You're getting, <laughs> well, let me ask on the LA move back deal. Did it just get, does that life get tiresome? You know, I think so many people look at it like, Oh boy, it would be so great. It's a beautiful place and all this excitement and stuff. But as you, one grows and all, all older and a little more mature, is that yes. kind of, I loved LA until one day I just went, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. It just, it's fantastic. But at some point it's like I have to get a parking ticket and park in a parking garage to go to the grocery store. It's just like mm-hmm. every single thing is kind of hard. Yeah. And I just went, I don't think this is, th- I've, I've done what I came here to do and I'm ready to go back to Texas. Yeah. Came back to Texas in 2019. Late 2019. I've 19. been almost exactly two years. What did you do when you go back to Texas? Uh, so I started working with uh, family companies um, and I went to work and focus on marketing and sales for our silicone company. And uh, I started doing marketing for our cigar company, having mm-hmm. never smoked a cigar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you did this, I think. <laughs> uh, I Is can't this remember. early on? This, I don't remember if this, this may have been right before I came back, but it was somewhere in the last few years. Yes, because arsenic's up there. So this is prior yes. to, but this is in Texas. This is at Motorsport, no, Motorsport Ranch out in Crescent. Oh, oh nice. wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, is that an electric vehicle? Because it says uh, electromotive on it. It is not an electric vehicle. Do they make electric vehicles like that? They, they do. They okay. do. It's actually a whole division. Yeah. How long have you been doing this and how successful or so I do, just I pl- for fun? I just for fun. Okay. I would love some time to actually do one of the leagues, but at the moment I don't have the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so 
I guess I, I mean, I probably drove open wheel the first time 20, 25 years ago. And I occasionally, when I'm here, will get to go out and jump in the car. I would ask for you to take Brenton for a ride, but I see there's not much room no, for a passenger. I, well, I was yes. going to also ask, is the track there on university considered open wheel? The one on the way to um, Joe T's, if you're coming from, <laughs> is that open wheel? It's a, it's a go-kart. It is. It's, um, it can be open wheel if you want it to be. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that last question, Amanda. So speaking of the family business, yes. the cigar company. Yes. Um, how, when did it begin and how's, how are things going? So it began like in 2016, 2017, it sort of had a, it had a, a slow start. Um, I joined in late 2019 along with the Dan Thompson, who is currently president and we've been having a ton of fun mm-hmm. uh, and it's starting to, it's like, it's starting to come together. It's been really interesting. We've sort of, uh, took a step back in 2020 and changed a lot of our strategies. We took ourselves off of all e-com only stores to focus on uh, family owned brick and mortars and online through those stores only. Oh, I see this organic thing, kind of like the arsenic coming back <laughs> up, yeah. huh? Yes. Where, um, where are the scars rolled? Uh, in Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Yeah. Uh, and then also like the arsenic thing pulled out of all of our print, you know, contracts and anything like that and have really focused on growing the uh, McAuliffe Cigar Ambassador community mm-hmm. and a lot of social media things and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you smoke cigars? I do now. When you pulled out in the parking lot and the door opened, a bunch of smoke came out of your car. I was wondering <laughs> if that was, that I'm, was I'm me. T- totally kidding. No, totally I do not kidding. smoke in my car and I do not smoke in my house. Good, good. Um, but how often do you smoke cigars? Anywhere from, you know, once to three or four times a week. We... Yeah. I like a sort of community workspace. And mm-hmm. so we have taken one office out at the uh, distribution center and turned it into a cigar lounge. And Dan and I basically sit in there all day in at a like dining room table in work. And so, you know, oftentimes at some point we'll smoke a cigar. Yeah. Very fun. Very fun. Um, so what else are we doing for fun besides work right now? Well, that, and then I just had, so as I've previously established, I, didn't go to my undergrad, but I decided that I wanted to fill some gaps. And so I uh, recently enrolled at TCU and I'm getting my executive MBA. So between work and that, I don't know that I have much time for fun. I don't think I have much time for fun. But work and school are a lot of fun. I'm having a really good time. It's amazing how you did that without going to college and you're going back to do it. It's it's a phenomenal structure, I would say, because it all, it's all worked out for you and it's, the, I the it's, be, just I the way it's supposed take to. It to this, I would not recommend my path. <laughs> uh, it did work out and I've been very fortunate, but but it probably would have been easier had I done it in a little more traditional of a way. Very good. How can people find cigar, the cigars? Macalfcigars.com uh, and there's a map to all the uh, retailers that we're in. Mm-hmm. Where is Al today? Where is Al today? I'm going to guess he's at AME in Parker County or Silverleaf in Fort Worth. But oh, he was, right he's now. in a lounge somewhere in the area right now, as far yeah. as I know. With a cigar in hand, possibly? Probably. Does your like um, share location say lounge for Al? Like, you know, <laughs> like he's got a special <laughs> denote. Yes, kind of exactly. Thing. He, that's, that's pretty much where he spends most of his days. I mean, he comes out of the office for a few hours and then he's off to the lounge. Yeah, will he push the McAuliffe cigars there just automatically? Hey, would you really like to try uh, one uh, of these? A little he, you bit. Know? A funny thing happens, big surprise, that McAuliffe quickly becomes one of the best, if not the best selling cigar in whatever lounge he's spending most of his time in. Yeah. Even without him doing it, because people, you know, they're like, hey, that's the guy. Well, you know, it's not that often you walk in a cigar lounge and the guy who started is sitting there. And so and then people are like, well, I want to try one of those. So, yeah, inadvertently, he pushes it. If you're 
pretty woman, he definitely pushes it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's pretty much how it works. Does Has he, he made it onto arsenic yet? <laughs> Not as he's in de- no, no. And funny thing, if you look at arsenic, there's one thing you won't see very much of. And that would be guys that look like Al. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Does Al still go to Szechuan from time to time? From time to time, not like we used to. Right, but uh, but he definitely does still get in there. Good. Well, please tell him hello. I for will us. for sure. Are uh, you and Mike? You guys have similar energies in life force energy. You're going, going, going all the time. Love that about you. I love that about Mike. You guys spend a lot of time together. Did you guys see each other ever? Oh yeah. So we, as a family, we see each other. We have uh, family dinner every Monday. Just okay. because we are all going so many different where, directions. Where are you guys um, having dinner? And just just for our own personal <laughs> we, we, notes. Uh, we bounce around. Szechuan. You never know. That was actually last Monday, but we hadn't been in a long time. But we do. We bounce around, try new places. Um, so I actually so for sure get to see everyone together then. And then Michael and I often catch up throughout the week. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Let's pretend that you, you survived. Uh, you're getting your uh, MBA mm-hmm. and that's done and everything else is st- stable as it is now. What's the next big project for Amanda? Well, I've got, you know, there's a, a lot of interesting directions that we can take McAuliffe cigars, even beyond cigars. And so I think that that, consi- you know, playing more in the consumer goods world is kind of where I have my, my eye on the horizon. Okay. Very good. So we've, uh, Truly loved learning more about you. Some things I've never heard before. This is fantastic. We like to ask our guests a special question. Brent, why, why don't you handle this one? Oh, thanks, J-Dub. <laughs> yes. Handing it over. Handing huh? it over. Well, yeah. obviously, to my buddy. so we, we do this deal where, you know, best day of the life, like family stuff aside mm-hmm. and all of that thing. So um, it could be even that that picture in there of directing that film, whatever it is. So what's the best day of your life thus far? Okay, well, I want to first say I'm not married and I don't have kids. So right. I get to throw, so I don't have any of that. No, that's good because we have don't that. allow that. So yeah, I was going to say, so I don't have any of that pressure. For you. The luckiest human alive. Wait, that, was, <laughs> that was my intro title. Sorry. Um, I'm sorry, kids and honey. I do love you. Um, what was my, I've had so, I'm a very lucky person. I've had a lot of great days. I don't know if I can boil it down to a single amazing day we're gonna need you to actually okay it's, it's, a, a it's because some people have answered that and that's okay too like i like the i like the whole thing like a producer's mind probably is like it's the whole process of the deal you know it is i don't know that i mean there's there's moments but i don't know that i could i don't know that i could pick one i really can't like hey i've had more good days than bad days so you know it's it would be very tough i'm sorry all right we'll let you off the hook yes. no worries see that's what a producer does guys they persuade people to whatever they want. <laughs> you're a, you're a big proponent of the women's movement or women's yes. uh, uh, equality, things of that nature. Can we speak to that for two seconds yeah, no, before absolutely. I let you go? Absolutely. You, you do so many things for women. What What is your, what is your aim? What is your goal in all this? Just, you know, I want to, you know, I had, I'll back up. So, and I hope this isn't too controversial. I Please. had a really interesting thing when, when me too was happening. Um, like everybody, I was, you know, saddened by the stories and shocked and horrified, not that shocked. But the thing that really sort of stuck with me was that part of the problem is that we aren't teaching young women to say no in a really impactful, clear way. And you end up in a gray area a lot. And gray areas, I think, help lead to these sorts of me too moments. And so though I, if there was one thing, I just want to give women a voice and a voice to feel like they can be confident enough to say what's on their mind and, and be okay. Not just going along because it's, you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or doing that because you have to be a good hostess and just really, you know, hopefully uh, bring a different perspective to the table that you can 
you know, carve your own way and you don't, you can make waves and you don't have to go along to get along. Greatness. Yes. Thank, thank you. Amanda McCall for Thanks joining so much. us. This was please, fun. Please visit us on rocksomediahouse.com or Ford FW on Twitter and the Fourth Inc. website. And what about cigars? McCall of cigars. Okay. Yes. All right, Britain, burn the fort down, baby. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you.